Hey, everybody. Evan Kerstell here today with Michael, Chief Product Officer at Gigamon. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great, Evan. Thanks. How are you? I'm really well. Super excited for this discussion. I always get a glimpse of the future of cybersecurity technology from you and your team. So this is uh, it should be really educational. Before we dive into the technology, uh, maybe introduce yourself and your role at Gigamon. Yeah, sure. Uh, Michael Dickman, Chief Product Officer here at Gigamon. So responsible for product strategy, which includes product management, definition delivery of what we're doing, also product marketing, uh, our alliances and ecosystem work, and the CTO function as well. Wow, that is quite a wheelhouse. Uh, you're a busy guy, so thanks for taking the time. We're here to talk about a topic that's new to me, so uh, I'm going to plead a bit of ignorance here because I, I am actually looking to learn myself about something called precryption, uh, not encryption, precryption. Um, first of all, what is it and what does it solve for? And it's a, how is it looking to redefine the nature of, of cybersecurity as we see it today? Yeah, sure. So, well, thanks. Thanks for having me in the question. Um, no need to feel bad for being ignorant because it is a term <laughs> that we actually uh, created because this, this technology and approach hasn't existed before. So I think it's a great place to start. So the, the idea here is there's encrypted traffic everywhere. And I think we know that. So encryption, depending on what you read, is 90, 91, 95% of all internet traffic. But now it's also similar percentages of an organization's internal traffic, including east-west lateral traffic, as well as north-south. And attackers are hiding inside of that traffic, which I think we know. And in fact, today, most uh, attackers are encrypting um, their own lateral movement and data exfiltration, right? So they're using the same confidentiality that we all like to use to protect our data to protect their attacks from our mm -hmm. prime eyes. And so the question is, how do you solve that? Um, so obviously, one way is decryption to, uh, to remove the encryption by getting the keys and processing that appropriately, you know, break and inspect, man in the middle or with perfect forward secrecy, putting some kind of proxy architecture. There's different ways to do that. Um, but there's no really good way today to see um, security for security purposes, the plain text of lateral movement at scale, especially in the cloud. Mm. And so that's really what pre-cryption is trying to solve is how can I give security the ability to shine a light on east-west traffic that is encrypted in containers, in VMs, you know, in the public cloud and private cloud in a way that's economical and efficient and simple to do. And so that's really what precryption sets out to do. And the reason we called it precryption uh, is because we enable security to see um, before the encryption or after the decryption that is already happening anyway at the application level. And so the difference here is rather than try to go over the top and break something that wasn't meant to be broken, Let's actually grab it at the most base level in a distributed fashion and give it to the security team, uh, leveraging some process that's already happening. Wow, very cool. Uh, and so how does this differ from traditional encryption methods that we've been relying on for so long or you know, other kinds of solutions, let's say, to this problem? Uh, what, what's your take? Yeah, sure. So if you think about... You know, take it for a given, if you will, that, that most data is encrypted. Mm -hmm. um, so you can decrypt uh, at the firewall. You could decrypt mm -hmm. in something like a Gigamon appliance. Um, you could decrypt using a load balancer. So there's different places you could decrypt. Usually those are at the perimeter. 
And the way that those would work is you, you have to configure quite a lot, actually. Uh, in mm -hmm. particular, you have to have a way of doing key management. And then you need to spend a lot of compute power to do the actual decryption inspection and then re-encrypt to send the traffic on, it, on its merry way. What this solution is radically different in its approach is you go all the way to the workload. And so you actually leverage some native capability inside of the kernel called uh, eBPF, which used to stand for Extended Berkeley Packet Filter, eBPF. And this is a native capability that's already in very wide use and very stable for observability purposes, uh, but it's less used for security. And so we're using that same stable, reliable component to give us that plain text visibility uh, at a very granular level. And then we bring that text back, uh, that, that uh, payload rather, back into um, what we call our deep observability pipeline. And then we can optimize, process it, secure it, uh, and send it on its way for threat detection, inspection, forensics, incident response, uh, anyone who needs to uh, look at that with, you know, with reasonable purpose. So what happens from a benefit perspective is you actually don't need to um, decrypt anything. So it's like decryption mm -hmm. without decrypting. And so that makes it much more efficient. You don't need to manage the keys. Uh, it's very uh, low cost from a compute perspective. And you can do this in all environments without any kind of change of routing. You don't need to force perimeters where they don't belong. You can just let developers do what they want, let applications run where they are, but still allow security to shine a light on those threats. Wow, that's phenomenal. So, you know, the cybersecurity market, as you know, is, is very crowded, different solutions, different approaches, philosophies to security. Mm -hmm. So who are you exactly competing against in this space with precryption, this this new approach? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, this this approach doesn't, you know, doesn't exist anywhere else. Okay. But, you know, where I would say we're competing with, the main way we think about our competition is we're competing with attackers who think they can kind of get away with this mm. encryption uh, of their attacks. Because mm. we do find for most customers we're talking to that because this problem has been perceived as so difficult, it's generally not solved today. And so really it's a question of, um, rather than say, hey, why don't you replace decryption, which you're doing um, for good security purposes at the perimeter, you can continue doing that. You can now uh, really broaden the scope of the security um, posture all the way to the lateral movement. And so we're actually not really competing with anyone in that today because it is so difficult to do. Now there's other ways to check for uh, threats. So one might be a heuristics-based threat detection where you mm -hmm. say, okay, I'm gonna guess that this is bad, right? So I'm gonna do some baselining and I'm gonna guess that it's bad based on um, you know, what is publicly uh, uh, visible in terms of the data traffic and that's okay. But we've seen uh, research like from Zscaler, for example, that says threat detection is five to seven times more effective when it is decrypted. And so really we're looking at that ability to um, enable the existing security stack to be much more effective in a place that, that really isn't being inspected today, but, but should be. That's fascinating. So being first and, and being innovative comes with its own set of challenges. Yes. Um, were there any particular barriers or uh, uh, roadblocks you had to overcome. I mean, this hasn't been done before, correct? That's right. Yeah, this is new. Yeah, we're new name or, you know, patent and all of that. <laughs> um, so, you know, barriers to overcome, definitely technical barriers. So I can talk mm -hmm. about those because we, we had to make this work. Um, and it can't work ad hoc. It has to work at scale in multiple environments. 
and in a way that uh, is easily configurable and controllable. So there were definitely technical barriers there. The other kind of barrier is um, just kind of like an awareness or understanding that uh, you don't have to take a heavy approach to this problem. It's possible mm -hmm. to rethink how you look at the challenge of encrypted traffic visibility uh, and going straight to the source rather than saying, hey, I can't do anything. I'm just going to try to either guess or ignore the problem or put in a very heavy solution that forces changes to networks and everything else. And so a lot of this is just around, hey, there's a better way to do this. And so I do think we have ahead of us a challenge, but also opportunity to bring out the message to uh, customers, especially in the security arena. Yeah, no, super exciting. What about, you know, cost uh, when it comes to implementation? Is this accessible for businesses of of all sizes? Um, is, it, is this going to be an obstacle, uh, just to be frank? No, I mean, it's, it's an important question. Okay. So um, as I mentioned before, one of the kind of economic benefits, if you will, at the very base level is we are not requiring compute power for decryption. So one of the reasons traditional decryption solutions can be a little pricey is they need to cross-solve that decryption, which we are not doing. And so mm -hmm. from a customer perspective, this is a matter of uh, buying some Gigamon software, uh, which we obviously do monetize, but we do that based on how much traffic is actually processed. And it's leveraging something we already do today. Uh, and then there's a little bit of CPU overhead on every workload in order to kind of um, configure and control uh, this function. So from a like a cloud perspective, if it was a private cloud, there's almost no incremental cost at all. Um, you know, at the base level, if there's public cloud, it's very small. And then from a Gigamon perspective, uh, we price and package this as a volume-based license, which a lot of our customers are doing anyway because they need to observe the traffic traversing their networks. And now they can leverage that exact same capability um, even at this higher level with decryption. So it's quite uh, quite affordable. I think the other you know thing maybe more important than cost is to think about, well, what is the cost of bringing more and more heavy security tools that actually can't see the, can't see the underlying traffic? And so mm, I think that's great. really the question is, let's just make things more efficient. You know, let's not waste our time. Let's not bring tools that aren't being given the data they need to get their job done. And overall, with that greater efficiency, I think you get much better results for the organization. I love that. So as, as you and I know, integration uh, can be a headache for new technology. Um, how do you foresee organizations kind of implementing this tech into their current stack and existing legacy technology? I mean, what's involved there? Yeah, so for anyone who's familiar with Gigamon, it's, it's actually pretty easy. Uh, mm -hmm. So what happens is you would um, first set up uh, something we call a V-series, uh, which would be a, uh, it's a VM. Uh, from Gigamon, and that will be the place where all of the magic happens in terms of aggregation, optimization, and enrichment for processing, and then brokering to send the uh, network intelligence uh, wherever it needs to go. And so you'd set that up. So that's one thing to configure uh, and deploy. And then all of the uh, distributed intelligence that is actually accessing this data using uh, eBPF, as I mentioned earlier, within the workload, that is then uh, controlled. Um, kind of locally in a distributed way. So you have something we call Fabric Manager, and that will talk to these things that we call Universal Cloud Tap or UCT. Mm -hmm. And the UCTs will configure this um, native capability eBPF, which is not actually a Gigamon technology. Um, that's you know already in the workload. 
And so the deployment is actually easy because you're leveraging something that's already there. And really, if you will, uh, and I hope you don't mind me using this older term here, like an SDN fashion of controlling mm-hmm. something that's already there in a software-driven model and just telling it what to do. And then the uh, uh, raw traffic comes back, gets optimized and enriched, and then goes off where it needs to go. Fascinating. Um, so understanding the level of disruption that could be involved in implementing a new technology like prescription is, you know, can be a deciding factor. You know, the idea of any kind of rip and replace, right, is a scary term or idea for many organizations. So it, 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 is, how seamless is, is the deployment? Yeah, I mean, it's you could think of it as 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 seamless as cloud, right? So you would okay. have to um, you have to deploy, like I mentioned, you know, one VM, uh, which, and then you have to tell that VM where the uh, um, you know where to send traffic. So you set up what we would call policies around that, like, hey, I want to send email traffic to the email security team. I want to send application metadata to my observability tool. You know, you'd set those things up, and that's very easy to configure in that tool from a central console, again, fabric manager, and then you would leverage what customers are already doing for cloud automation. So usually uh, our customers are telling us Terraform, very common. Uh, They could also use Ansible or other methods, Helm charts, YAML, you know, whatever it is that they are uh, preferring to do. And that will configure um, these universal cloud taps or UCTs directly into the workloads. And then just they need to know where that V-series entity is. So it's easy to deploy. Um, because you can automate the deployment at the edge, you know, per workload. And then you only have to deploy in a centralized fashion, one place to do the processing. Mm-hmm. And that itself is easy to configure from a centralized management station. So it's it's actually not that bad. I will say that we've run into a challenges occasionally around permissions. And uh, mm-hmm. so sometimes, you know, you'll have the question of, well, I need to have the management station be able to reach and talk to, you know, the different entities. So that has been a question. Um, which just you know has to be resolved through good planning. There's no technical barrier there. It's just making sure you know you dot the i's and cross the t's around who can who can talk to whom um, in the environments. But but it has not been uh, bad to deploy at all. That's interesting. So let me ask you kind of a big picture question: Why now? Why is this idea of precryption relevant now versus you know even a few years back? What what's changed? Yeah, I think, I think the but, answer but what is, particular has changed? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it's it's super important question. So I will say we've been thinking about this for a couple of years, but mm. um, I do think we're intersecting at a time when the when the um, threat and the urgency is very high, and it's because of encrypted traffic. So if I, if I look maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you would have had a, a reasonable amount of encrypted traffic on the internet, and then you'd have a lot of encrypted corporate traffic as it leaves the perimeters. And then five years ago, now you have a lot of standardized encryption, you know, out in the wild. I think what's changed in the last five years is everything is being encrypted. We're talking to a lot of customers that have an encrypt everything mantra. Sometimes it's a mandate. Uh, And Mm. the view is that when you encrypt everything, you're safer. And I think Mm. what we're finding now, um, as I mentioned earlier, with attackers using encryption as well, is when you encrypt everything, you do a better job at confidentiality. You do not necessarily do a better job at stopping attacks that will steal data in other ways for integrity, availability, or even confidentiality, you know, when they can steal the data in a different way. And so not allowing this very powerful tool of encryption to be misused uh, by attackers 
has really come to the, to the head in the last couple of years. So I see the urgency much higher now than I do five years ago for not allowing free reign in lateral movement. So another you know, example of why that's so important is you've got the huge rise of microservices and modernization of applications where uh, most new development is containerized. And you have a lot more of this machine-to-machine, server-to-server communication in the last mm-hmm. few years. That is the perfect way to proliferate and attack and spread. And so not allowing those channels to go unmonitored is, I think, essential. So all of that has become much more concerning uh, and important in the last few years. Brilliant. So this is clearly an excellent way to look at a more preventative, proactive approach to cybersecurity. Is that the main benefit or are there other benefits I'm I'm, I'm missing in the solution? No, I, th- I think you nailed it. I think proactive cybersecurity is absolutely number one benefit. If I had to give you two more, uh, it would be reactive cybersecurity. So if something has happened, you now have the ability to have been tracking application metadata from actual data communications. And now you can go back from a forensics perspective or an incident response perspective. So I do think reactive cybersecurity is also very valuable uh, in addition to the proactive piece. And then the third one um, is really around, um, I'd call just sort of classic performance assurance and performance management, because you can't have questions of what's really going on um, and being able to dig into that uh, in detail. We have seen a lot of concerns about that. So one example, not an enterprise example, but I think it'll make the point is within the service provider 5G cores, there's actually encrypted data uh, going there and you need to actually decrypt it in order to correlate the control session of like, you know, when you and I are on our phones, we have to correlate, hey, it's Evan, with this actual data flow is Evan's. And so that requires being able to um, look beyond the encrypted control plane traffic. So there's all these other examples where from a performance perspective, you need to know what's actually happening as well. So those would be two other benefits in addition to, I think the big one of proactive cybersecurity. Brilliant. So this is a little off topic, but as chief product officer, I'd, I'd love to ask you, it wouldn't be a tech podcast if we didn't talk about AI, uh, sure. the big picture. And, uh, you know, it's such a game changer in so many areas, including cybersecurity. Um, what's the role generally uh, at Gigamon for AI and how excited are you by the possibilities? Yeah, so on a, per- I mean, on a personal note, I, I am really excited about AI. I think this has the potential to be just incredibly disruptive. You know, we're in that point right now where everyone's arguing about whether it's overhyped or how much it's overhyped. But I, I do think this is as disruptive, you know, as the internet. You know, you go back in time in terms of what's possible and literally disruption, you know, in terms of changing the way work is done and who does what and how you ask questions and how you get information, which does tie in very much to where Gigamon plays which is watching actual data communications. And so there are mm-hmm. things that we're going to be doing internally to Gigamon to make ourselves more efficient, like using generative AI for um, uh, like things like support or documentation or the way we do um, QA and, and our own work. But I think the really interesting part is from a customer perspective, you know, as they're adopting AI, the signal to noise ratio and the quality mm-hmm. of the input data is everything. You know, if you train a model on poor quality data, or if you train it on incomplete data, then it's really garbage in, garbage out. And so just imagine mm-hmm. a cybersecurity system that has the best AI model in the world, and they've only ever seen a north-south transaction. They've only ever mm-hmm. seen whatever happens to be at the perimeter at that moment. By definition, that system is not going to detect lateral movement within the environment. Like it's never seen that. 
And so, sure, you know, it does a good job of guessing based on patterns that it's seen. But if you don't give it complete visibility uh, to what's happening everywhere, those AI uh, systems for cyber are going to be limited. I mean, that's just one example. Another example in a different way, you know, you think about the Gen AI systems, one of the concerns is that they can um, be tricked into revealing personal information that they're not supposed to do. It's all over the news now. Um, some of them are funny. Some of them are scary. Uh, but we know that that is a, a real risk with those models. You could um, guarantee that whatever data egresses one of these models is run through something like Gigamon to do masking for privacy. So you could actually guarantee that no social security numbers or phone numbers or healthcare information is actually mm -hmm. coming out. At, I'd call it like a low level, um, you know, like hard, hard, um, hard control versus like a, a best efforts policy. And so we see a lot of value on the front end with that signal to noise. We also see value in the way the process works as well for privacy, compliance, audit, and more. So this, this is certainly an evolving area, but anything that involves data communications, data in motion that needs security, which Gen AI and AI generally fits into, uh, we definitely think Gigamon has a role to play. But the other thing I'd add, Evan, if I may, is it has a role to play in making the broader ecosystem successful. So it's not like, you know, hey, buy you know, our company's product and, and you're done. It's there's all of these very smart people at all of the companies in the industry who are working really hard to make technology that can help. But if they don't have that signal, that quality signal, they're not able to do their job. And so a lot of what we do at Gigamon is to make everybody else better. And for cybersecurity, for AI-based detection, I think we have a big role to play. Brilliant. Well, on that mic drop moment, I'll uh, thank you for the quick education and update. Uh, I guess you're going to be on the road talking to customers and partners and press and media and analysts. Any, any, uh, anything exciting coming up travel-wise? Uh, yeah, we certainly have a few things. Um, I'm always pretty customer-motivated, so I love talking to <laughs> media and others, but my favorite is customers. So we'll be meeting with mm -hmm. our own customer advisory board in October in uh, uh, New York which is a number of CISOs, and that is one of my favorite events of the year. So very excited to talk to them then. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, enjoy that. Uh, congratulations on uh, the mission. Very important. Very exciting. And, uh, yeah, thanks for watching, everyone. Reach out to me or to Gigamon and Michael and others with any questions you might have. Take care. Bye -bye. Thank you.